Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. Is it okay if I kick your boss's ass? That won't affect your workplace chemistry, will it? One man's toxic sludge is another man's potpourri. All right, who did this? I'm not mad. I just want to know who did it so I can punish them. When I get to the workplace, I like to fuck shit up. Welcome to Let's Break Up, Toxic Workplace Stories, where weekly we interview people from around the world reflecting on their experiences in toxic workplaces. Sharing lessons learned and providing a safe, supportive environment to share your stories with us and everyone else that may also be experiencing a similar situation. Hosted by me, Nicola. And me, Gina. Both with many years of experience in the corporate world and now deep diving into the toxic workplace culture. Each week we will provide tips and ways to identify and overcome some of the challenges associated with toxic workplaces. So settle in and relax as you join us in today's episode. Let's jump straight in and see where this journey takes us. The last part of what we're talking about today, and it's the MLM vibe. Right. And I know we've both done a bit of research around this because I think we, I think for the both of us, we really wanted to understand how we got sucked in to the toxic environment. And we absolutely, I think, agree on the fact that it was toxic positivity. And Mm -hmm. according to betterup.com they describe toxic positivity is the pressure to only display positive emotions suppressing any negative emotions feelings reactions or experiences and it eventually invalidates your human experience and it can lead to trauma isolation unhealthy coping mechanisms and for me in one of my one-on-ones with the ceo i actually raised this as a corporate risk I said multiple times that this would result in us not getting honest delivery. Our communications were having issues. Being positive all the time is really just meaning that we're lying about how we're really doing in fear of not being positive enough. And that the toxic positivity also flowed through to their customer base. And it was seriously, and and I'm not kidding, it's almost cult-like. And I remember a customer highlighting this issue of toxic positivity and they were just shot down in, you know, the community that they were in because people just couldn't wrap their heads around what toxic positivity actually meant and how invalidating it was to people's experiences because everybody only spoke positively of this company. And I think the reputational risk there was a huge issue and there was nothing in place to, you know, kind of mitigate if that reputational risk was let out of the box. Basically, I got fired because I refused to be toxically positive. It wasn't even that I refused. This is not who I am. I can't like it's not my nature. Hiring from the same pool of friends, former colleagues, an alumni network, all the staff members other than you and I potentially were from the same school, the same church group, family members um, with little or no experience. And they were often put in these executive positions. Don't get me wrong. 
it's a great way to learn, like all hands on deck, let's learn a new talent. And there was always commentary around how work, it's like a family, we're all friends, like we're so close, it's tight knit. What I didn't, and I didn't know a lot of this until towards the end of my time there, that most of these people were either direct family members or they were all um, hired from a Midwestern-based church group. I'm used to working with people who have no problem with me sending an email that doesn't have a fluffy greeting and just disseminates information. Like I'm South African, right? We're just like straight down the center. You want to hear it. I'm going to tell it to you. Tough titties, right? Yeah. But that's how sometimes like, look, you can be softer granted. Like I'm not saying be an asshole, but most of the time it's like to the point. It's like, okay, let's get something done. Oh, there's an issue. Okay. Let's get it done. There's no, Hey, Gina, hope you're having a wonderful day. I'm really thinking of your thoughtful thoughts and hope you're feeling (laughs) well. And would you like me to, you know, massage your clip while you're reading this email? Or like, do you like one ply or two ply? Because I really need to know. Because I really need to know. Oh, and yeah, we have an issue over here. Yeah. Oh, and just a small little thing after we talk about your toilet paper preference. Um, the delivery is blowing up and no one knows where the cargo is. So yeah, when you have a moment, let's talk about it. If you could. If you can't, no big deal. I'd be like, yo, I don't know where the cargo is. Somebody tell me where it is. But I think, you know, you hit on this word cult-like and... Let's talk a little bit about the psychology of this. Um, so I'm not a psychologist. No, let's keep <laughs> neither, neither of us. Yeah, <laughs> neither is Nicola. Um, but this company, again, was very culty. Um, and it reminds both of us of a pyramid scheme or an MLM. Um, so Nicola did a little deep dive here and she has common traits of MLM and this organization side by side. So, so, um, one of the things around multi-level marketing or, you know, pyramid schemes or whatever, they have actually a lot in common with religious cults. They've got this psychology of religious cults and they can be, you know, considered secular or a commercial cult. And like most cults, they often depend heavily on the personality of the group leader. Oh, my God. Who is typically a charismatic person with the ability to motivate and inspire. Oh, my God. The next line has. Oh, my God. Motivational activities often include slogans. Green eggs and ham. Green eggs and ham are involved and encouraged to repeat daily, which we did, ritualized behaviors, the elevation of particularly loyal members to positions of authority, mm-hmm. um, where they're encouraged to recruit new members and richly rewarded to do so. So now you've got yep. this culty environment where you've got people that all know each other and they're recruiting in people that they know. And that's where the how is this not an MLM or religious cult? Oh, for sure. There is a degree of secrecy around the activities. So again, lack of transparency. And you know, I I was while I was on this research kick, um, there was a guy called Robert Cialdini, and he wrote a book called Influence: The Psychology of Persuasion, 
which has been quoted quite a lot by marketing experts. And he provides some scientific evidence of why we make decisions and make us like what makes us susceptible to being duped. And some of the stories were obviously, you know, dated to take place in the 1960s and 70s, but realistically, psychology doesn't change too much over time, right? Anyway, his big thing was reciprocity. reciprocity. There you go. Um, the desire to give when something is received, commitment, a desire to stay consistent with what you've already agreed to do, social proof, desire to follow what others do, liking, desire to act the same as those who are similar to you, authority, desire to trust the experts, and scarcity, desire to have something that is in limited quality. So those are kind of the persuasion techniques that were used or employed by this organization to have people kind of in their culty commercial mass. Then I went down another rabbit hole, Gina, and we kind of went into some of the MLM spaces and MLMs oh. have <laughs> absolute authoritarianism without accountability. So when asked by, when asked about like psychological financial hardship that some, you know, MLM people's face, um, one person from LuLaRue, now, realistically, we don't know anything about these MLMs, right? We're just kind of quoting the research that we've read. What the leaders would say is retail is not for everyone. Retailers on their own business can make their own decisions. The success of any business depends on the leader's own uh respective and independent business goals and the strategies they employ to achieve those goals. However, we essentially, we couldn't do anything without the CEO or the COO's knowledge. There was no trust for us to be able to do anything. So that authoritarianism without accountability, because they weren't held accountable for any of their targets or deliverables, that was, you know, 101, MLM 101. So they're basically saying like, in the LuLaRoe thing, they're saying like the participants who buy the leggings from this MLM company, it's up to them to be successful. Yeah. Which is exactly what you're saying, because we would be tasked with all these things. And then even if at the last minute, everything changed because of the CEO or the COO messed something up, um, we would we would be the ones who would have to fix it. There would yeah. be no help from anyone no. else. Yeah. No tolerance for questions or quid critical inquiry. So most companies, when facing backlash from their employers, would try and address any claims that their employees might have. Multi-level marketing, however, teach their employees to shame anybody who says a bad word about the company. Hmm. <laughs> And this was absolutely the case here. No one could say anything negative about the business. It was all the best products, the best details, the best information internally or externally. And when customers made complaints or highlighted issues, it was glossed over with free products, niceties. It was totally fake and totally misleading. I don't know how they made any profit at the end of the day because they would have to replace so much shit. I mean, the amount they were spending on shipping, like it was just un unsustainable. It is. It is. All right. All right. Now, what is the next uh, point? Unreasonable fear about the outside world. Go. Let me hear about oh this. Oh, my God. Okay. So the word bunker is in there. So I'm down. I'm not, okay. So we know that MLMs aren't locking people up in bunkers. 
and telling them that the world has ended. But in their own way, they're promoting fear about the world outside and isolating the people Mm. that sell their products. While this wasn't directly the case, brand loyalty was promoted internally and externally so hard that anything there couldn't be anything wrong with the brand. And essentially, we were isolated from the outside world with piles of to-do items, deadlines, Mm -hmm. reactive responses to issues, customer experiences, complaints, et cetera, et cetera. And we lived and breathed the cult. So we didn't even have time to consider there was an outside world. Or that there might be something wrong with the cult. Or that they might or that we have been sucked into a cult. Yeah, like ha- when you're so busy and you don't have perspective, it's, it's easy to see how the red flags didn't really stand out to us at first. Exactly. So on to numbers, like the last number, right? Former members often relate the same stories of abuse. That's what you and I are doing right now. I know. So for those who manage to make it out of these multi-level marketing, rarely, rarely have good things to say. The internet is full of former MLM members warning others about the deception of these companies. And here you have us. I had not spoken to not one single person about my experience until we spoke. I mean, I spoke to my partner and the people in my house, like, and my support system, which is basically my mom and, like, my best friend, Megan, who we're going to hear from at some point. Her story is absolutely insane. You can look forward to, like, um, anonymous emails being sent to her workplace, nakedness. um, Legal action. There's so much. It it has everything. but yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this exactly, this is what we're doing right now. We're finally saying like, yeah, this is what what we had going on there was not okay. It wasn't okay. And it was only really once we left that it was really clear how not okay it was. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Like, and that, and that was it for me. It was like, I, I was like being, I wasn't listening to my gut. And that's what I'm most annoyed about because I knew something was up. Like I was changing how I was talking to people. I felt like shit. I looked like shit. I was barely eating. Like I remember you told me when we first started working together there, you were like, I have to pay someone to remind me to eat. And I was like, what? And then like fast forward, (laughs) I would have like a minute to eat like a slice of bread with peanut butter on it for lunch. I know. I was like, I get it now. Thank you. I was like, I get it. Um, I think one of the, one of the other toxic traits of this business, and, you know, I've come from a variety of industries, not just like one or two of the same industry. I've come from a variety of industries is, and you and I kind of disagree a little bit on this, but we kind of agree a little bit on this as well is regardless of the business you're in, it is important to have a framework that supports the work that you do. And, you know, this, especially coming from OSHA, we've got a ton of management frameworks that are required by law, required by regulation, required by, you know, a whole bunch of different reasons we have systems in place. Um, But if there is a tool that stifles or diminishes your ability to grow and expand, I think that's a big issue or a big red flag. And I think one of the 
key elements of the tool, you know, the kind of management system tool that we discussed was when you're stuck in a toxic culture, the only issues you're going to bring are ones that are going to be solvable because you don't want to cause problems because of the toxic positive culture. And realistically, you don't want to hear about improvements. You only want to, you know, maintain a like a momentum and almost like a fake feeling of growth when in reality that wasn't the case. And, you know, now that we're on the outside, you know, we weren't related to any of the church groups or the family members. And I think it was easy for them to let us go because, you know, easy way to get those salary costs back. And also we weren't tied in, you know? Yeah. We weren't really part of the fold. And especially me, like I, like you had started as a customer. I didn't even know that this company existed. Yeah. I was like, who the hell are these people? It's Um, vanity. Um, And I actually think we do agree because my issue was the entire management system that this company bought because you have to buy a consultant, you have to buy yourself into conventions, um, you have to buy the software that is super elementary. Um, Which you can do you on Excel. To, you don't have to get a software to do this. Or you don't have to get a software to do a fucking meeting if you're all like executive leaders and you all have corporate experience. So this ties back into them not having experience. Like right. if you're the owner of a business and you came up with the idea and you are not a business person you hire a CEO, you hire a COO. Okay. That's how you run a business. Don't purchase some flim flammy, dumb, like (laughs) management system that is essentially like, let's go to conventions. Let's have, you know, so-and-so be our consultant. And he comes on once a month or once every three months and doesn't remember any of our names or what our company actually does, but let's pay for this. Um, you know, so that management system, I really had an issue with, like, I really, it was very like off-putting to me. Um, I think the overall idea of it, like, I get it, but just hire people. If you, if you have enough money to buy this management system, you have enough money to pay people who actually know what they're doing in this space. Yeah. Um, and I also feel like it was also exploited by the COO and CEO. Like we would all come up with a decision in this, you know, man- management MLM system where everyone was agreement. And then exactly like what Nicola, Nicola said, the moment the meeting was closed, we were being told to do the exact opposite or they they were changing the due date. So it's like if you're going to buy this management system, you have to use it as it's made if you have yeah. any shot. So if you're going, like, if you're going to go back and change everything, we all just discussed, how is this, how is this even like being used properly? Like maybe the system is good, but if I, and I, I, I don't think it was a good system. I think it was very like, I think one of the things were like, okay, again, Dr. Seuss. Yeah, but where are you elevating and delegating to, right? Because you've got it for you particularly. My team was pretty cluey, right? I had a really good team, but for you particularly, who are you delegating to? Someone that can't do the job and now has that position back, but was never formally trained and is. Oh 
And like, I remember the first part of one of the first interviews I had, the CEO said the person who got demoted essentially um, was like, she's like the most direct type of person when emailing. And I'm like, no, she's not. And also she was like, the CEO was like, um, she takes the most time off. She's always off or out of the office. That was like one of the first things she said about this person. Like, I've never met this person. I don't know who it is. That's so inappropriate. Like, why do I need to know this? Anyway. You'll so work think- out. It's your report. Like, did you learn? What could you have done differently? Because for me, there's just so fucking much I could have done differently looking back. Um, I, you know, I could have chosen not to become as emotionally invested. Yeah. I could have put in better business frameworks. I'm skilled in business frameworks. I could have put in better business frameworks at the get-go. Um, pushed for upskilling, uh, you know learning about toxic positivity and bias because there was huge bias going on. Mm -hmm. And I think for both you and I, in some ways we absolutely perpetuated that toxic culture, but in different ways, you know, and for one, I know the CEO would approach me to fix an issue and I could have easily pushed back and said, actually that's so-and-so's job. Can they be given a chance to do the job rather than just solve the issue for them or stopped, you know, gossipy bullshit in its tracks and pushed harder for more, you know, fundamental business practices. And, you know, absolutely looking back, I fell 100% victim to the feeling of being needed to fix almost anything by the charismatic leader, by the charismatic cult leader. I mean, it's not wrong. No, Um, for me, I think, you know, I've always told the people who are important in my life, like some of the biggest like key ideas for me as just me as a human being is things are not personal. Listen to what people are saying and telling you, whether it's their words or what they're actually doing. And no response is a response. (laughs) I love that one. For sure. So, So for me, I didn't listen to my own advice. Like I'm usually pretty good at it because I've made so many poor decisions and so many like weird things happened to me throughout my life. But I did not listen to what people were telling me. I didn't. And I didn't listen to my gut. So, you know, when some of the first conversations I had after being employed was the COO telling me everyone was replaceable, talking about somebody on my team I should have realized that also applies to me. I mean, I know that intellectually, but for some reason in the context of this conversation, it was presented in a way like you're not replaceable, but so-and-so is. And at the end of the day, that person was the one who got me replaced. So, um, you know, or from the very beginning, my team hated me. They, you know, because there was no change management. There was no transparent communication about why you were being brought in. Right. So I think for me, it was more like I need to take my own advice and I need to listen to my gut. Yeah. But I think my ego was also involved because they set it up in such a way that they had a lot of expectations of me. And I could have lived up to them had we not been in 
And I think I did, but they just didn't really like in a lot of ways, I did make a lot of positive changes. And I think most of the items that I worked on while I was there, like didn't have any issues, like sold out. Like, I think that we, we were trending in a good direction, but I don't think they're there anymore. I think I just should have listened, you know, but like my ego was also like, I was hired to do this job. I'm going to stay and do this job and prove to all these people that I can do this job. Yeah. So, um, that was, that's a little bit of like my own issues. Like I don't have to be the best in the room. Like I can be good and that's good enough. Um, I don't have to feel like I'm smarter than everyone all the time because I know that I'm not. Um, so I think for me, I, it's a little bit of ego balancing, but also listening. Yeah. Listening and believing what people are telling you when they tell it to you. So, you know, kind of, we're kind of coming to the end and we're kind of wrapping up and after six, 17 hour days on this our inaugural podcast. No, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Um, kind of what, what do you think like our listeners can expect in 2023? Like what are they getting from us in our first season? So you're going to get some insane toxic workplace stories that are going to be a lot more anecdotal than how Nicola and I sort of just went through this. We're going to really let the people who um, get here or want to be interviewed, whether it's anonymously or not, just tell their story in the way that they need to tell it. Um, And we're going to also talk to some psychologists. We're going to talk to some subject matter experts. Um, and we really just want to share tips on how to identify and start, um, changing, you know, like what Nicola and I just did. Like, I just said, you know, I could have done X, Y, and Z. Like, you know, we, we want to make sure that, um, people are heard and, you know, we also share tips about how you can change your situation. Um, so what's our next episode going to be about? We're interviewing you about your toxic workplace experience. And it's not related to the way that we met. It's about your past and your history and kind of the stuff that you've experienced in the past as well. So, you know, I think it's going to be really, I think the first, you know, let's say few episodes are going to be pretty juicy because I think we're pretty candid people and we're not going to hold back on, you know, the experiences that we've had. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, my, the one, the one workplace that I think I want to um, talk about is um, it's a little juicy though. It's not, they're not no longer in existence anymore, but there was um, some inappropriate relationships happening and yeah, it was, it's interesting. Um, and I know that you have your own um, sort of yeah. bindle of uh juicy things to talk about we would love it if you could like and subscribe to our podcast and side note leaving a review also helps and it lets other (laughs) it lets everyone else know that we don't suck too bad (laughs) just a little bit but but it also helps us create more right it helps us create more because it shows that there's an interest in the topic and in toxic workplaces and And we'll have good change management in our podcast (laughs) You can find us on Instagram and LinkedIn, and this will also go up on YouTube as well. Um, 
And for those of our listeners who do better with reading, uh, we also will have a full script available with closed captions on YouTube as well. All right. So you're welcome to reach out to us on our LinkedIn page or our Instagram page over at Toxic Workplace and let's break up Toxic Workplace stories. If you would like to be interviewed, we welcome you to share your story because we are all about solidarity. Um, And if you're listening today, it would be really cool if you could screenshot and share it to IG and we would love to give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. 